1: Well, Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and it is an honor to be with you tonight. As you know, here at Real America's Voice, through our partnership with Just the News, we are able to bring you the stories and the insights that you often can't get anywhere else. Well, one of the reasons why we're able to do that is that we have one of the hardest-working journalists in America, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of Just the News, That's John Solomon. John, I know you have, while folks have been working around the clock, a lot of them, on a lot of different issues, in the last couple weeks, you've done over 100 interviews. You've been talking to Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives about a lot of issues. And I want to come in a moment to some of the big things that have happened just in the last 72 hours. But first, for a lot of our viewers who are really wondering about the direction of the country, We're coming into an environment now where the Democrats have control of the White House. They have control of the Senate because the Vice President is going to be able to break ties in a 50-50 Senate. And they have a slim majority in the House of Representatives, controlling all three branches of power. Now, a lot of people, when they hear about some of the things that were on that liberal agenda, packing the Supreme Court, state possible statehood for Puerto Rico, they wonder if they're going to be able to get it done. Again, over 100 interviews in the last couple weeks. What are you hearing from your sources about the likely agenda that can be accomplished by a Biden administration?
2: You know, I think it's going to be a far less radical agenda than uh, the left wing of the Democratic Party is hoping for. You've yes. got this ambitious young group, the AOCs and the squad right. and some of these new members that just got elected, and they've got big ambitions, big ideas, but it's a 50-50 split in the Senate. Yes. One defector is all it takes to tie up the Senate. Yes. You go to the House, Nancy Pelosi had to wheel COVID patients in, to, in order to win her speakership. Yes. There's only eight or nine uh, votes separating there. And so, I think things that are on the far left are probably gonna get cast aside. Mm. And Biden's gonna try to focus on things like uh, uh, infrastructure plan. Uh, we need that badly. Republicans yes. want that. Democrats want that. I think he'll focus on things that they can get a consensus and win rather than have a whole lot of contentious votes early on where he loses and the left gets uh, frustrated. I think some of the impeachment drama that we're yes. going through now is sort of throwing stuff at the uh, liberal wing to make them happy because right. they may not get all they want once Joe Biden is president.
1: Right. And I, I want to come to, the, to the, what's happening this week around impeachment in, in just a moment. But also over the weekend, you know, big news, Twitter, Facebook, all of these other social media platforms, banning not only President Trump, which many people saw in the headlines, but also a lot of other conservatives. The free speech alternative app, Parler, then had action taken against it by Amazon, by Apple, by Google. What
2: do we know right now about where this battle stands? It's accelerating. Uh, Just an hour or so ago, the head of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, was kicked off Twitter, For a tweet he made multiple times since September, and in September, when there was a first complaint about it, uh, it was adjudicated that there was nothing false or wrong or violative. Now suddenly it is. You know what the tweet is? Hashtag hydroxychloroquine is a safe drug. It's actually factually true. Wow. People take it every day. Yes. Uh, Suddenly that's the reason for banning someone for seven days on Twitter. Yes. This is accelerating. There's a lot of emotion and silliness, but the American people are beginning to speak. When the markets closed today, mm-hmm. Twitter stock was down 12%. That's a 12% reduction in value. Why is that going on? Investors are becoming concerned that Twitter is only going to be half the universe going yes. forward. Therefore, half is valuable. Meanwhile, Parlor's scrambling to try to get its servers back up and trying to, to get back online. But the my, I, I said this a couple days ago before yes. this began. I think the big story of 2021 is the mass migration of large Americans off of these social uh, uh, platforms that have been leaning left to new platforms like Platform, like CloudHub, like um, Rumble. You're going to see a mass migration going on in 2021. The People are going to speak with their pocketbook and with their fingers on their keyboard.
1: Yeah, and look, this has also happened, we should note, in American history. I mean, a lot of people thought that that kind of post world war 2 consensus we had a couple of big networks which right. was kind of the way that the republic had always been but you go back to the early days of the republic and there were these fighting newspapers that were out there you know all, always in, in in different camps we might be looking at something that looks a little bit more like that do you have a sense if 2021 is a year where a lot of conservatives are pushed out of or choose to leave some of these dominant platforms like Twitter like Facebook a sense for what that does to our ability to have civil discourse in, in the country?
2: It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, one one yeah. concern is, well, we'll just have liberals over here and right. conservatives over here, and the two will never talk. Yeah. That may remain true in Twitter and Facebook, the way they're imposing their will with these um, uh, policies. Yes. On the other side of this, uh, some of these platforms that are emerging, they want everybody on. Yes. They're going to be inviting. And I think it may be a day where CloudHub and Parler has more robust American discussion going on And what used to be our favorites, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube just a few years ago. The key for those conservative friendly platforms is not being conservative only, inviting everybody in. And over time, liberals are gonna have a need to talk to conservatives. They wanna talk to conservatives. They're gonna migrate over there if Twitter and Facebook continue this sort of uh, vast censorship policy that's going on. On uh, Amazon today, the best-selling book in America, 1984. It's been around about 40, 50 years. But people want to go back and see what George Orwell is saying because it feels like they're living the book right now.
1: Right, because 1984 is this kind of dystopian novel about big government aided by companies That's actually right. suppressing free speech, twisting terms, playing with vocabulary. For folks, I'll just say, if you haven't read 1984, oh, like, read. join the crew of people who are going out to yeah. Amazon and buying it because there are a lot of you know insights and things, things to be learned. Coming back to what you think and what your sources are telling you might happen this week, a lot of talk from Speaker Pelosi about what she might do around the 25th Amendment, around possible impeachment. What are you hearing and what are you looking at this week?
2: So, uh, first off, Republicans this afternoon blocked the first effort to make 25th Amendment the reason why Congress tries to remove the president. So that's off the table. Secondly, there's nobody that I talk to remaining in the Trump administration that thinks Mike Pence or the remaining cabinet secretaries are going to go there. Our right. own Kerry Sheffield had an interview with the cabinet secretary. Yes. They're not doing it. Right. So it leaves the, the Democrats with the final option of impeaching him a second time, which a lot of Americans are going to say, if he's leaving in seven, eight days, right. why are we going through this trouble? Yeah. And I think uh, you know, a lot of the questions that still aren't answered in this, we know what uh, the president's being accused of, but we don't know how did Nancy Pelosi react mm. when the Capitol is going on? What happened in the two or three days beforehand? What did Senate and House leadership know about threats? What did they do about it? Did they ignore it? I think this story is going to evolve, and it's going to become a much more muddled mess than the nice little clear yes. uh, let's impeach him narrative that the Democrats and their friends in the media have uh, laid for us thus far.
1: Well, I know you and your team are going to be following that story, all of the investigations, Absolutely. talking with your sources as, as that comes out, and we'll continue to bring that to to our viewers uh, Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, uh, what's what's the latest there?
2: So he stepped down today. He says his primary reason for doing so is that the Supreme Court recently ruled, just before Christmas, that he wasn't properly nominated, therefore couldn't be the Homeland Security Secretary. So it creates a nice clean break. Uh, the FEMA director, who is a confirmed, will step into the yes. role for a few days and then... Uh, uh, Joe Biden will get to fill it with his own person come January 20th. Uh, What's concerning is a lot of the effort in the Trump White House right now is focused on just getting... The machinery of government working because so many people have left and resigned, retired at the end of this administration. So, just getting the daily work done has become a lot bigger challenge than than would have been expected.
1: Yeah, very good. Now, and one of the things that we also, uh, that you and the team at Just the News do is like you're going out there, you're talking to your sources, and again, you're talking to liberals, Republicans. You're talking to everybody. On John, John Solomon reports on the podcast, just I think it was yesterday, you're talking with Congressman Lee Zeldin. About what he knew from his perspective, what happened at the Capitol. What more do we know right now about what's happened at the Capitol just in the last 48, 72 well, hours? Well,
2: uh, over the front? weekend, yes. uh, the, the uh, departing police chief of the Capitol Police said he raised six times, once before the event, five times on the day of the event, whether they should bring in the National Guard, and he couldn't get permission from his bosses. Who were his bosses? The sergeant in arm at the House, the sergeant at arm at the Senate. Senate Sergeant Arm reports to Mitch McConnell. The House Sergeant Arm reports to Nancy Pelosi. As I said to him a little bit, I think we do not know yet. We don't know what sort of details. conversations were going on between Pelosi and the Sergeant Arm. Did the Sergeant Arm really keep the Speaker of the House in the dark about these threats, these concerns that there might be violence? Nancy Pelosi has been silent on this issue. Uh, the Sergeant Arm suddenly resigned. But what the police chief was talking about this weekend raises questions. What happened upstream from the police chief? The police chief said there was resistance to accepting the help. Now we've got to find out, did that resistance come from a Mitch McConnell, from a Nancy mm. Pelosi, or from the majority leader on the other side? This is some uh, reporting that we're really zeroed in yes. on, and several members of Congress are. There's a, right now as we speak, there's a conference call going on with the Republican conference. They're trying to figure out what, what, what do they not know heading into these impeachment proceedings. I think Nancy Pelosi's behavior, action, inaction, is going to come up a lot more in the next 24 48 hours
1: absolutely so i know you and your team will be, be taking a look at that just in the last kind of 60 seconds that we have left also again on john solomon reports on the podcast you're talking with lee zeldin about what the republicans in the house might do a minority party now in the house what can they do to advance conservative causes in the house
2: well they have uh with the tight margins in both chambers the ability to stop what they don't want becomes a lot better. All you got to do is make a deal with one senator, yes. maybe a Joe Manchin or a John Tester, Senators that are in states with swing votes and mm. a lot of Republicans conservative, or get six or seven members on the house. You saw how hard it was for Nancy Pelosi even to get reelected yes. as a speaker. They had to bring in Gwen, Gwen Moore, who was sick with COVID just yes. to make sure they had enough votes. Uh, I think that the first thing they'll do is they'll tie up through deal making the agenda of things that they really don't like, and then they'll paint the picture for America. Look what they're trying to get through that we're stopping. Do you really want that going forward? Mm. Just the reaction to Twitter today tells us a lot of Americans are worried about this censor-cancel culture, big spending, uh, uh, energy-busting agenda that the liberals are talking about. Yes, There's a big opportunity for the Republicans to define themselves and set the, the battleground for the 2022 election. Awesome, well, Joe. Uh,
1: thank you, thank you so much, John. Very much appreciate. Always having having you here. You. Well, when we come back, Joe DiGenova and Victoria Tenzing are going to be joining us in just a second. Stay right with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available.
1: Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Joining us now are two good friends of yours and good friends of the show who always join us with insight and analysis. It is former United States Deputy Assistant Attorney General Victoria Tenzing and former United States Attorney Joseph DeGeneva. Victoria, Joe, thanks so much for for joining us. It's really great to see you guys.
4: Great to see you. Good
1: to see you. Happy New Year, Eric. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year to you. It's obviously a new year that's that started in ways that a lot of Americans would wish were, were different. One of the things that we were just talking with John Solomon about was that just this past weekend, you had Twitter, Facebook, a lot of these other social media platforms come out, and not only did they ban President Trump, which many people saw in the headlines, but they also banned a number of other conservatives. It sounds like what also happened is that Parler was then in many ways pushed by Google, by Apple, by Amazon. We understand that Parler has now sued uh, some of these companies, some of the big tech companies that are, are attacking Parler, the kind of free speech alternative to Twitter. Give us your opinion, both as citizens and your legal analysis, of what this means and what's likely to come of it.
5: Well, I think this was inevitable, that once the Democrats took control of Congress, that mm. the Silicon Valley tech giants would feel emboldened to exercise their power in unbridled ways. And that's exactly what this weekend showed. Uh, deplatforming the president was eminently right. predictable, but shutting down parlay, Parler, going after a competitor in an anti-competitive way and basically putting a billion-dollar company out of business is unheard of. And I think it it requires absolute antitrust activity against all the companies involved in deplatforming Parler.
4: But Parler is not suing based on that. They're keeping it very simple. Um, I, I was able to just read some reports of it. They're suing in the Western District of the state of Washington, and they're doing it on contract breach, which was that Amazon did not give them the 30 days notice that it should have in order to get there, be able to adjust to being taken off the system. So they can always amend and make it antitrust, but that gets more complicated. It's like the difference between were we're Republican watchers kept out of the uh, observing process of the vote counting Mm. and, and the Dominion case, which would take ages and ages to prove so. they kept
1: it simple. And let's go ahead and walk through, you know, just because I think so many of our viewers feel like this, there's just an inherent unfairness in this. And so there's obviously the breach of contract lawsuit. But if you could give our our viewers a sense for what antitrust law is, maybe touch on a little bit the Sherman Antitrust Act and how this has been used in the past in American history when you have collusion among a number of, of big companies who kind of attack uh, smaller companies.
5: Well, what what you have here is, uh, you, you named it correctly, it's the Sherman Antitrust Act, and it makes illegal contracts, combinations, and conspiracies in restraint of trade. And it's pretty obvious here that all of these tech companies acted together. Whether they communicated with one another or not, it doesn't matter. The point is, They consciously paralleled each other's actions. And in the course of doing so, they decided that they were just going to put a competitor out of business. That is the classic antitrust activity that the Sherman Act is designed to be against. For example, the United States government went after big oil. They went after standard oil and broke them up into a number of oil companies Uh, at the beginning of the antitrust era under Teddy Roosevelt. That's basically what this is. You can view the the major tech companies as standard oil all over again.
4: But here's a side issue, Eric, and that is the lawyering. Um, Mm. Parler's main law firm uh, had to resign. And we've seen this throughout this whole process where Trump lawyers are either being threatened to lose business or people are asking for the bars to, dis, to disbar them. And that's a very frightening aspect, especially when you go back to our history and John Adams, who in yes. 1770 defended the British troops who fired into a rioting <laughs> crowd in Boston and killed uh, at least one person. And he defended them, and he's been praised for that. In fact, Dan Abrams of ABC just wrote a book about it. I wonder where he is today about this disbarring.
1: Well again, yeah, let's let's talk about kind of both of those uh historical parallels cuz I think they're they're really interesting. I mean, you have John Adams, second president of the United States, who took on what would have been the most politically unpopular case that you possibly could, but he was standing up for the general principle. That in order for justice to be served, you have to have good advocates who go into court and argue both sides, and that through that argument we'd actually get to to justice. Um, I know I don't know that you've used this phrase before, but certainly uh, Alan Dershowitz has who talked about this kind of legal McCarthyism, which is sure. happening now. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what you've seen because some of these same firms have in the past, They've signed up to represent terrorist clients, and they were praised for it. And now, if they're representing conservatives, they're being, they're being attacked. Where, where are we at historically in terms of what's happening with lawyers' ability to sign up and defend clients?
5: Well, this is a, this is a very bad period in American history for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, just d- during the, the uh, you know, after, two, uh, after 9-11... All these big law firms in Washington mm. and New York started representing prisoners at Gitmo, the, the people who did 9-11. Everybody thought that was wonderful. They were getting awards from human rights organizations. But if you represented a conservative now mm. or Trump or a Trump-related activity, all of a sudden you're vilified, you should be disbarred, you're, mm-hmm. you, you should lose all your clients. That's happened already in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, in New York, in California— where law firms have been forced because they were threatened with having their their clients leave them. Now, what's, what what that means is, mm-hmm. is that there is a form of terrorism, McCarthyism, being used against lawyers who are sworn as members of the bar to represent everyone, even unpopular causes. But that apparently is no longer accepted in the modern
4: discourse, especially of the Democrats and of the left. And one of the organizations primarily behind this, I mean, it's primarily the organization behind it, is the Lincoln Project, which is a Mm -hmm. bunch of uh, former George W. Bush uh, people and lawyers in his administration. And it's despicable what they're doing. And I hear crickets by the ABA as to condemning their actions.
1: Yeah, and let's, I also want to pick up on, on the thread that one of you, you mentioned before about Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt, when he came into office, he was an outsider. A lot of people forget today he was hated by the Republican establishment. He was hated by the Republican establishment in New York so much that they thought that they were going to kick him up to become vice president, never expected that he'd become the of president of, of the United States. And, you know, and Teddy Roosevelt, one of the things that he did, he was fighting for the American people, and he He did take on a lot of these big trusts. We're at a point now where these big organizations like Twitter, like Facebook, we've seen them come out banning conservatives. They have a tremendous amount of power over American life. If the Congress, though, is controlled largely, but if they're they're controlling the Senate and the House, what recourse do conservatives have, perhaps through the courts, to take on some of these big tech giants, if any? Well,
5: well first of all, they have, to, they have to set up and use alternative platforms, mm. uh, not just Parler, but other platforms as well. There have to be many, many platforms. Second, there have to be private antitrust lawsuits, because it is highly unlikely that a Biden Justice Department would go after the big tech companies, even though there are a lot of Democrats in, in Congress who want them to. Right. That's never gonna happen. It's going to have to be private lawsuits brought under the Sherman Act and the Clayton Antitrust Act there are ways to do that it's going to require money and for for a change it's going to require some conservative billionaires to step up mm-hmm. and fund it we need we need the big guys and the big gals who have the big bucks funding some litigation just like George Soros does
4: yes that's exactly what we need we we le- we need a legal umbrella so that people can go, just as they do when, you know, like the, the First Amendment is being attacked, and the ACLU used to always step in and help, not so much anymore. But we need a legal umbrella, well-funded that helps conservatives who are being harassed by this council cult, council culture.
1: Got it. Hey, and in just the just the last kind of ninety seconds that we have left, a lot of conservatives, when they look at what's happening in D.C., Democrats in control of the White House with the vice president able to break ties in control of the Senate and the house. They're hoping that the Supreme court might act as some kind of a check on, uh, on a progressive agenda. Yeah. When you look <laughs> at, at what you see in the Supreme court, give us your thoughts on what might happen there.
5: Uh, thumbs down on that ever happening. I mean, the truth is the Supreme court has, uh, not occupied the field. They have abandoned Mm -hmm. the field. They made a political decision that getting involved in the election cases was going to be bad for the court. There was no reason for them not to take the Pennsylvania cases and the big Texas case, but they decided to get out of it. Anybody who's pinning their hopes on this court to put a monitor or a governor on the Democrats in the White House and the Congress is uh, daydreaming. It's never going to happen. They don't view that as their job. And it's not their job. Their job is to decide cases. Unfortunately, during the election,
4: they decided to not even do that. We can denounce the Supreme Court, but I'll tell you who I'm ready to denounce more. And that is the state legislatures in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona, all Republican legislatures who allowed their law to be violated.
5: Never sued, never stood up when it mattered.
4: And then did not take the responsibility to change the the Electoral College when they had the absolute constitutional authority to do so. What Mike Pence should have done was send those five states' electors back and said, "Okay, is this like polling a jury? Is this and was this your decision? And, And he did not do that. Right.
1: Folks, again, that's former Deputy Assistant U.S. Attorney General Victoria Tenzing and former United States Attorney Joseph DeGeneva. We'll be right back in just a minute. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Well, as you've heard, it was a big news day, so we brought in some of the big hitters from Just the News to break everything down. We've got Just the News news editor, Joe Weber, and Just the News news correspondent, Nick Balasey are joining us today. Nick, first of all, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Great to have you on.
6: Thanks for having me back.
1: For sure. Nick, a couple big stories I want to run through with you. First, uh, we have right now at justthenews.com some of the latest about what's happening on Capitol Hill in regards to this effort to impeach President Trump. Nick, please, if you could, give our viewers the latest.
6: So the most concrete aspect of this process that we know at this moment is that the formal articles of impeachment have been introduced in the House, A vote schedule hasn't been announced yet, but they're coming back into session for official business tomorrow in the House. So we could see a vote as early as some point tomorrow or the next day. But a story I have up right now at JustTheNews.com is about how a trial in the Senate is very unlikely, highly unlikely right now, because McConnell, the Senate majority leader, uh, he's talked about how the earliest anything could happen if they were to actually vote in the House on impeachment formally would be January 19th. And by the time everything would get underway for a trial, uh, this would go into President Trump's post-presidency. So it's very unlikely that anything significant would happen in terms of a removal because of the timeline here with President Trump on his way out, nine days. Uh, so right now it looks like a symbolic effort, but we'll see. Maybe uh, something could be done in terms of after he leaves office. That's what uh, majority whip Clyburn is alluding to, that maybe they'll take some sort of action in the House and Senate when the Democrats have their 50-50 slim majority with Harris Mm -hmm. as the deciding vote. Maybe they'll do something uh, after uh, Biden actually takes office. Uh, We'll see, but we're following everything very closely at Just the News.
1: All right, again, that story is available right now at, at justthenews.com. Now, Nick, one of the things that we also covered earlier in the program uh, with John Solomon, Victoria Tenzing, was this kind of big tech crackdown. If you could, let our viewers know what we have up right now at justthenews.com, the latest that's come out of this big tech crackdown, uh, taking uh, Vice President Trump off of, or taking President Trump off of Twitter, off of Facebook, and, uh, action against Parler. what's the latest nick
6: yes yeah, so president trump's account on twitter uh, has been removed uh, permanently from public view uh, so that's he had uh, almost 90 million followers he was one of the most popular politicians on the platform be- behind uh, president obama uh, he was removed after the uh, violent protest at the capitol last week uh, one thing led to another, and they went from censoring some of his tweets about election results to removing the account completely. And then you've got uh, Facebook, who's been going uh, as far as censoring some of President Trump's content, blocking videos, and now locking the president out of his account so no one can tweet on his account, whether it's White House staff or Trump himself, no one can access it and actually post anything publicly. So this is kind of feeding into the narrative that many in the uh, conservative movement and the Republican party have had for a long time saying that you know, in search results, either on, on search mm-hmm. engines or on social media, that the content was being suppressed. Now we're seeing it uh, unfolding in the context of this riot that happened at the Capitol uh, so we'll see where it leads. But we've had all kinds of uh, I- issues surrounding this concerning possible legal challenges because Amazon's involved. They took Parler off of their platform. Uh, Parler's not available on Apple devices either or Android devices. So this is just the beginning of, I think, a lot of legal efforts we're going to see in response to these these moves. And just a preview to a story we're going to have up on Just the News yes. uh, tonight, uh, a lot of Obama-era officials left and went into tech companies like Facebook and Twitter, took high-profile jobs. Now they're coming out of those jobs in droves and taking positions in the Biden administration, which is interesting because the backdrop to all this is Trump getting deleted from Twitter, right. uh, possibly removed from Facebook. So. It's interesting to see the, the droves of people that are entering the Biden administration now from big tech.
1: Well, we appreciate, Nick, you and the, the Just the News team uh, drilling down on those stories. And again, folks, that's at justthenews.com. Those stories uh, are available. Nick, I know one thing that's happened just hours ago that you've been following is uh, Chad Wolf, Homeland Security Secretary. What's, uh, what's the latest right now?
6: So, Secretary Wolf has resigned, and I was going over his resignation letter before the segment here. Uh, He talked about recent events, but he didn't really expand beyond some of the legal challenges that, that have gone on around immigration law. Some of these issues predated his time as head of the Department of Homeland Security, but he referred to that specifically, didn't say anything about the Uh, Riot at the Capitol that happened, the violent protest, but he said recent events. So a lot of people, you're going to see commentators and various reports and op-eds done saying that it was related, uh, his resignation, and they're going to connect it to what happened with Betsy DeVos and Elaine Chao. They also have resigned from the administration. So it is nine days until President Trump is out of office, but we're already seeing some of these resignations happen quickly. And we'll see how that affects the transition, because normally these officials would be involved in transitioning to a new administration, and now they're dropping off early. Right.
1: Well, thanks. Thank you very much, Nick. And again, folks, that's Nick Ballasy, just the news correspondent. We'll look forward to to having you having you on again soon, Nick. Uh, Now I want to turn to Joe Weber here in studio. Great to see. Great to see you, Joe. Thanks for having me Uh, back. Big story about Cuba. Out on the site, give our give our viewers an update, yeah. please. Uh,
3: yeah, just early in the afternoon, there was a couple of reports coming out that uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and the Trump administration is going to put Cuba back on the State Terror Watch List. And as if you as you recall, uh, President Obama took them off in two thousand and fifteen. That's right. big sort of consternation about that. The conservatives are very upset about that. Um, now, what's interesting in the backdrop of all this is you take a look is when. You had, when a lot of the people from the United States came over from Cuba who leave the um, Cuban uh, Castro regime, yes. they've sided with the Republicans, conservatives. They were anti-communism, Reagan Republicans. And then the second generations, as they started to assimilate into this country, mm. uh, they didn't really want to be a part of that. They wanted to be more American. So you see sort of, as Obama became president, the trend line going to where they were softer. And then President Trump comes back becomes hard on them. And as we were talking before we came on the set, you saw that uh Elena Ross Lettnan, who's had the twenty seventh Congressional District House yeah. member down there, Miami, she didn't run for reelection, knowing that there's a sort of this trend line mm. where it was going against conservatives. And then she loses to Donna Shilela, who was the Clinton administration secretary of health and human services. And what do you know? She was upset this uh this in this twenty twenty cycle. Yes. She was beaten again. So you can see where it seems as if, with President Trump getting the Hispanic vote as well, Coming back, there's sort of a a movement more towards the anti-communism again. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, we look back historically. It's always been the case. You had uh, groups of Polish-Americans who were strongly anti-communist because of their experience under communism. Groups of Cuban-Americans who were strongly anti-communist again because they'd had that lived experience of communism. And with that Cuban community, which is, you know, you have Cuban-Americans all over the country, but a lot of them strongly right down there in Florida. That's what we're that's Yeah, they we're literally seeing.
3: came over on flotillas, yeah. yes.
1: Yes, And, Joe, um, one of the other stories that you guys are also covering right now at JustTheNews.com is about potential protests around the country at different state capitals, and apparently the FBI is yeah. getting involved. Yeah. This is yeah. pretty
3: fascinating, because this came, this sort of broke late in the afternoon. The FBI has issued a memo for every state, every state capital, all 50, uh, it's a combined effort with ATF. DEA, Defense Department, U.S. Park Police, U.S. Marshals. What they said, that they haven't found, um, you know, credible evidence of an attack on every state, but we took, the last time I was on your show, we talked about the fact that having been somewhat surprised by the uprising last Wednesday at the Capitol building, their actions in terms of finding out, you know, who these bad actors were and stopping this has been swift and thorough.
1: Yeah, and Joe, is it your sense from what, what your reporting is showing that, a lot of these are done in preparation for potential um violence or are they acting on actionable intelligence that they've actually su- suggested? They've some, looked on yeah. social
3: media. Yes. Um they've used open source. Now I think you know this as being a former governor. Yes. A lot of this these protests are stagecraft, you know, yes. you have law enforcement, and they'll say, Well how many do you want to get arrested and where do you want to do this? There's no stagecraft here. There's no people talking to other people. I think this is all information that they've gathered on their own, you know, sort of quote-unquote, shoe-leather uh, reporting here.
1: From them actually being out there. And one thing we, we should mention is that there are these fusion cells. These are these intelligent cells which operate where, it, when it's working well, the FBI is sharing information with the state police, sharing information with the local police, so that you can actually track down terrorists and people who are intent on violence. Unfortunately, over the course of the summer, we saw all of these acts of violence, riots, protests across yeah. across the country. I know some of those fusion cells are working there, and it sounds like this is kind of shoe leather investigation yeah. that's also helping them to figure yeah. out where they need to be prepared. Well, you would know, yeah. uh, having, yes.
3: you know, been in the, um, the SEALs and yes. work as a governor, information gets siloed, right, yes. and it becomes territorial, and you can't kind of share, and that's That's where things sort of break down. We've taken a look, Uh, unfortunately, a bit of a finger-pointing between the Defense Department and National Guard and Mm. U.S. uh, Capitol Police about who was responsible for getting, you know, um, backup there, too, you know?
1: Well, Joe, always good to have you on. Uh, Folks, again, that's Just the News News editor Joe Weber with a latest breakdown of some of the biggest stories. Stay right with us. When we come back, David Zier is going to be joining us and he's got some interesting insights into what's happening across the country and here in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back.
5: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Well, welcome back to Action Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Our next guest is David Zier. He's host of Breaking Point, and you can watch it here on Saturdays at Real America's Voice. David, thank you so much for joining us. Very good. Now, David, uh, you were joining us from New York State. Uh, New York has suffered tremendously under economic restrictions due to coronavirus. If you could give our viewers a sense for what's been happening in New York.
0: Uh, Well, we're entering uh, nine months of lockdown. Uh, We've lost about 10,000-plus restaurants just in New York City out of 27,000. We've lost one-third of our small businesses in New York. We've lost one-third of our small businesses in New Jersey. And nationwide, we're probably approaching like 150,000 restaurants out of business. And despite the great economy that we had that's uh, allowed us to survive this, You know, these blue states have 9 to 11 to 13 percent unemployment, and the red states have 4 to 6 percent unemployment, and they have half to two-thirds of the deaths per capita. So I think these lockdowns were uh, brutal, uh, unnecessary, and maybe we should have been operating at, say, 50 to 75 percent capacity this summer instead of 25. So these restaurants would have a chance to stay in business. Through the winter, uh, but now we're in brutal lockdown territory. And I don't know if you read, but the New York State Assembly in concert with Mario Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, uh, talking about like some type of like detainment facilities for people with communicable or COVID uh, diseases. Uh, We're talking about like camps for people here. So it's really ugly. You know, Uh, the rest of the country is prospering. Um, so, And I know, I know people are still dying from the COVID, uh, but this is very serious. People are, are at the end of their rope, and combined with last week's events, they feel like there's no hope and no representation for them in government.
1: Yeah, and David, again, those, those stats, 10,000 restaurants closing uh, in New York, and a third of all small businesses. What is that doing? I mean, talk, talk with me, because I know you talk with— business owners and small businesses all the time. I mean, those are powerful statistics, but give us a sense for the human impact that that's having across the state.
0: Well, there's a mental anguish that goes along with it. And uh, like Stanford University said, we, we may lose like 100 million years of life equivalent from the COVID lockdowns, which will well be well beyond what the disease is going to take from mm. us, between suicides and alcoholism and mental anguish and stress. Imagine owning a deli, you know, where you can't make a profit. And what do you tell your family for Christmas? Yeah. And there's a lot of us here and we're not getting our, any representation. Um these these um You know, these people are suffering up here. I speak at lockdown protest after lockdown protest and back the blue rallies and up here and all the people who attend are small business owners. You know, we're just supposed to carry this on our back while the rest of the population sits home and collects a check. You know, and whether you're a nurse or a cop or a teacher, you know, they might not get it either to a, to the degree that, you know, we have to get up every day at four in the morning and let our HVAC crews out of the gates or our insulation crews out of the gates and create a paycheck for them every day. Right. Now, New York was already tough before because we have, you know, increasing unemployment costs. Uh, we have uh, Medicaid fraud. We've got workers' comp increases. We've got increased regulations. You know, these are blue states. They're yeah. municipal union heavy. So imagine what this has done on top of that. I'm very worried. I think about it. We can't sleep at night. And I think the toll is gonna it's gonna take many, many years to come back from this.
1: Yeah, it is, it's it's a massive toll. And as many of our viewers know, small business owners themselves, these are often family enterprises as well. It's not like there's, you know, sometimes it's just one person in the family Who's helping to run, or is part of a small business, but a lot of times these are family enterprises, especially some of the restaurants that you mentioned. You know, it, they've been in families for generations, and now they're being brutally uh, choked out by these by these government policies. Um, yeah. David, you know, one of the other things that that's come up a lot from our viewers is that they've been talking about what they view as the media hypocrisy in the way that they've been covering the events of the last few days, including, you know, the violence in the Capitol. And actually, there were some folks who actually pulled together a short video looking back at the way that the, some of the riots over the course of the summer were covered. Take a look, if you would, at this at this video here, because I want to share it with our viewers and also get your get your thoughts on it.
7: So what's the difference between good trouble and what? Bad trouble. All right, I'll tell you what the difference is. It's a test of where the trouble leads. Yeah, that's right. Ends and means. I wanna be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not uh,
3: it is not generally speaking unruly
7: tonight as protests for racial justice persist, the president is again stoking tensions on Twitter sharing a video today of a white couple in an upscale St. Louis neighborhood pointing firearms and shouting at peaceful protesters
2: after what were six and a half hours of mostly peaceful protests here near around the White House things have definitely taken a turn here perhaps this is uh, some sort of mechanism for a restructure in our country
7: or for some sort of change in our country
4: the protests in late spring were mostly peaceful.
3: What you see on your TV with the burning cars and, and, and looting, that's, that's separate and apart from the peaceful protests that we're largely seeing all over the country. Many of the
2: protesters that are angry over this death did remain peaceful. They will tell you that some of the, of the demonstrators decided to turn violent, but for the most part, the vast
7: majority were peaceful protesters. There are a lot of people who are black in this country who believe they have very good reason to be fed up, and that this is the response. Many of the protests have been peaceful. We can't emphasize that enough. Uh, Now, does that make it right? Look, those kinds of judgments become a chain. Well, is it right why they're doing it? Is it right why they feel they have to do it? Is it right that that hasn't changed? Uh, Remember, people will not like what they see. Uh, That is almost always the case when people take to the streets to fight against a system that they believe is doing things that are not American.
0: It should be noted that the demonstration here in Washington, and this
7: this is the case around much of the country as well, those demonstrations were largely peaceful. America's major cities are filled with people demanding this country become more fair, more just, and ironically, more united. This is
2: actually quite sad to watch. And it is an indication indicative of the pain and the sadness in this country of people who feel that they have no other alternative but to exhibit this behavior in our country, no other option. Listen, before people try to twist what we're saying, nobody is condoning violence here. We know that there's violence out there, but entire cities are not on
7: fire and in tumult. There are a few blocks.
5: In a mostly peaceful protest, but then they chose to move in.
7: Many of these protests have been largely peaceful. Citizens have no duty to check their outrage or to ignore a curfew to keep doing that. They may get arrested, because it's illegal, but that's their right as well. Looting, arson. Violence. Now, that's something else. Don't confuse that with protest or the people doing it with protesters. There are bad people mixed in with good people in these situations. The uptick in crime that we're seeing right now across the country is unrelated to these protests. It's a symptom of our economic uh, inequality, the pandemic, the ongoing recession, the lack of gun control, and even our criminal justice system. Context matters. Even in our own history, where we literally started a war focused on guerrilla tactics at the battles of Lexington and Concord to gain our independence. And please... Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful, because I can show you that outraged citizens are the ones who have made America what she is and led to any major milestone.
1: Now, David, that was a lot of CNN and MSNBC commentators commenting uh, specifically on riots, on looting, on arson, a lot of which happened in your home state of New York. I know that you've had a lot of folks who've reached out because there was there's a lot of looting riots arson you had you had people who were engaged in prayer who were beaten there in the state Uh, what are you hearing from folks in new york
0: listen this is the biggest lie in the history of the united states these people committed hundreds of thousands of crimes in the street in new york police officers were murdered People were murdered in the street. Dozens of people were murdered. This is terrible. In New York State, we passed bail reform last year, where you can't be arrested and held in a jail for committing one of 400 different crimes, including beating your girlfriend to a pulp or assaulting or knifing somebody on the street. This This is, like, so incredible, you know? And then every Trump supporter is lumped into this category, and I'm not condoning any actions that people who you were in the capital who
1: yeah, were violent. And we, should, and we should emphasize that. I mean, David, I saw you that day and you, you were one of the first guys to say, you've always been a huge supporter of law enforcement. You, I, we don't condone violence from anyone under any circumstance, um, particularly appalled no. by this, this violence directed against citizens and, and police officers. But please, no. please,
0: yeah, continue. So these people are not supporters of law enforcement. They consistently bash the police. They do it all the time. They did it with the lie of Michael Brown where 14 witnesses came by later and, and recanted their testimony and said that Michael Brown attacked this police officer. You know, people are backing this agenda that is, 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 it's revolutionary, it's Marxist, it's progressive, it's communistic, it's Stalinistic. And now we have this massive purge, which is reminiscent of Stalin in the United States, of conservative voices. And there's this gigantic lie out, out there. It's incredible because the violence in the streets, my kids live in New York City. They can't walk alone at night. There wow. are stabbings, assaults. Murders are up 50% in 2020. Shootings are up 110% in 2020. They reversed all of the incredible work that Rudy Giuliani did to turn around and clean up the city. And, and partially Bloomberg, you know, decided yeah. to go down well, David, I know,
1: unfortunately, we're coming up right up against the end of the show. I want to have you on to discuss this issue uh, in more detail. But again, folks, that's David Zier. Catch him here on the weekends uh, with with Real America's Voice. And stay right here, because after the break, Dr. Gina has a great show planned for you here at Real America's Voice. Have a great night.